installment of our Tri-State Youth Series for 2020. And our title, as you know, is Superheroes of the Bible. And as you can see, they're really grateful to be at Tri-State, right? Our theme verse, of course, is Philippians 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Three weeks ago, Brother Josh Dodson up in Vanita did an outstanding job introducing our theme and our series. And this week we begin with our actual physical, individual, spiritual superheroes that we have been assigned. My character that I was assigned was Flash slash Elijah. And when I saw that, I thought, really? Won't mention any names, but thanks. I must admit, the thought crossed my mind after I first heard that, with my age and my weight and the hair I don't have up here, but I do have down here, as well as the conception that Elijah was an older man, I thought, well, I, I just wondered if maybe the other flash was the one that they had assigned me. Thought it might, might have been more appropriate, but you know, what are you gonna do? Title of my assignment tonight is Elijah, the Flash, faster than a horse-drawn chariot. And the wording, a synopsis of it goes as follows. There are many stories about Elijah that we could draw upon, but 1 Kings 18 and verse 46 says he ran ahead of Ahab to Jezreel Guess he was the Old Testament's equivalent of a flash. But even with all of God's direct help, he still had weaknesses. So this was my assignment. But before we get to that verse in chapter 18 and verse 46, it would help us a lot to understand that verse better, to understand what's at stake. If we were to go back and develop a little bit of history that led us up to that point. The first time that we see Elijah is in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1, where he informs the evil king, Ahab, that God was going to withhold the rain. And God wasn't going to allow it to rain on Ahab's kingdom until Elijah said so. So this would be Ahab's punishment for turning away from God. No rain on his kingdom, crops wouldn't grow. This would be Ahab's punishment. Now, the reason that Ahab needed to be punished, you see, according to 1 Kings, whoa, wrong button, try that again. There we go. According to 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 through 33, Ahab was indeed an evil man. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. What that means is, is if that wasn't enough, that he was walking in the sins of a former evil king, that he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshiped him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Watch this last line. You wanna know how evil, we're talking about the forces of good versus evil. You wanna know how evil this king was? Look at that last line. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel 
who were before him. This was an evil dude. But you know what? His wife was worse. His wife was far worse, and we'll get to her shortly. But right now, to follow our story along, after Elijah makes this announcement that it's not going to rain until he says so, after he makes this announcement that's going to punish King Ahab, the rest of that chapter is devoted pretty much to the three and a half year period that Elijah spent basically hiding out from Ahab and Jezebel. That brings us to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. At this point in time, God sends Elijah out again to King Ahab. By this time, it's been three and a half years without rain. There's a severe famine in the land we find in 1 Kings 18 and verse 2. As we continue on with this, this story before we get to our theme verse, we see the sheer brutality in verses 3 through 16 of Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel has had prophets of the Lord killed. That's how evil she was, and we see that in the rest of this chapter, chapter, uh, this chapter, verses 3 through 16. And all the time that she's having the prophets of the Lord killed, Ahab's out hunting for Elijah. These were not nice people. So finally, in verses 17 and 18, Elijah, in obedience to God's command, presents himself face to face with this evil tyrant, Ahab. Good versus evil, right? He presents himself face to face. And he says, I got a deal for you. I got a proposition for you, Ahab. Look at verse 19 in your Bibles. If you're not open, go ahead and open to that, if you would, please. 1 Kings chapter 18. Look at verse 19. 1 Kings 18, verse 19. Elijah's got a proposition. He meets the evil king face to face. He says, now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Wow, quick math. 850, so tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go get those 850 evil prophets and I want you to bring them to Mount Carmel. Now keep in mind, Elijah's one guy. 850 to one, that's pretty, pretty sad odds, isn't it? 850 to one. How's that for superhuman faith? But you know what? It's not really superhuman faith at all. You see, it's not really any more superhuman faith than each one of us has or than some of us have, and all of us should have, I should say. You know, think of it this way. How many of you, don't raise your hands, don't have to respond, just think about how many of you in your school are outnumbered hundreds to one? As far as being members of the Lord's church, as far as being Christians, some of you are outnumbered several hundred to one, are you not? I'm sure you are. And so imagine what we could accomplish if we could just decide to fully trust and obey God no matter what, same way Elijah did, and no matter how, how great the odds are against us. Consider that. Look at me in verse 20 of 1 Kings 18.
Verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel, and Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Well, we want that difficult. They only had two choices, right? But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450, plus the Asherah, the, another 400, right? And he says, therefore, let them give us two bulls, let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it. I'll prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it. You call on the name of your gods, I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he's God. And all the people said, it's well spoken. They said, that's a great idea. Elijah says, let's just take these two bulls and tell you what, you put yours over there and, and, and the God who answers by fire, you put him, you know, you cut him up, you put him on the, on the altar and all of that. And so they said, that's a really cool idea. In verses 26 through 29, as the story continues, the prophets of Baal, they go from morning till afternoon and Elijah's making fun of them. Or maybe your God's gone on vacation or something, right? And so they get themselves all worked into this frenzy and they start cutting themselves with swords and they start crying out and they start dancing around and they go all afternoon. Nothing happens. Not a thing. So as we continue through the story in this chapter, of course we know that, that Elijah would not only put his sacrifice up on the rocks, but he'd have him pour water on it, dig a ditch around it, pour water in the ditch, pour water on it, you know, water doesn't burn. Elijah was setting it up so there could be no doubt. Well, he cries out to God, God sends a fire down, licks up the water, takes care of the sacrifice, takes care of the whole thing. The people go, oh, the Lord, he's God. And Elijah says, don't let these false prophets escape. Take them and execute them. Elijah, the thing that I want you to understand, Elijah won a great victory that night, 850 to 1 odds. But because he trusted God, he won. And 850 were executed. What an incredible story. What a great victory. So then, on the heels of that great victory, in verses 41 through 44 of 1 Kings 18, we're still in that same chapter, in verses 41 through 44, Elijah says, okay, it's going to rain. And it did. And I want you to, to check this out. That brings us back to my assigned verse. And actually, I want to read 1 Kings 18, 45 and 6. After this great victory has been had, after Elijah said, okay, it's going to rain, this is what happens. Verse 45. It happened in the meantime. The sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He ran ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. Now, there's several interesting things here that I want you to understand. As we, as we compare this to superhero status of today, as we compare that story and we think about good versus evil, there's some things you need to know about Jezreel and about this, this running and getting there before King Ahab did. Number one, Jezreel was a nearby city where Ahab and Jezebel 
had a royal residence. They had a palace there. We know that from 1 Kings 21 and verse 1. So we'll call this the evil stronghold, right? Because it's where evil Ahab and Jezebel lived. It was their, their city, and they had a palace there. So this is like the, the evil stronghold. And the second thing you need to understand is that Elijah ran like the flash and he got to the gates of Jezreel even before Ahab could make it there in his chariot. Now that's incredible. And when you start thinking it's a distance of give or take 14 miles, when you take into consideration all that he's been through that day and, and the sacrifices and, and this challenge that's gone on all day, it's pretty big deal that he ran 14 miles, right? How many of us could run 14 miles ahead of a chariot, right? Now, the greater question might be, okay, why? And this is what I really want you to consider. Why do that? Why, you've had this great victory, why run right head on toward the evil stronghold? Toward the place where Ahab and Jezebel, evil Jezebel lives, why do that? Straight to the gates of the evil fortress. Well, makes perfect sense when you stop and think about it. Consider, he just had this great victory. He's destroyed all of her prophets. He's destroyed or had executed these 850 servants of hers. So when you win a big bat battle against evil, what's the next thing you do? We might as well go to the very source and see if we can continue what we started going, see if we can continue. Because he has swayed some of the people, because remember the people said, God is God. They made that decision. They come to understand that God was the Lord. And so he runs right head on toward Jezreel. Now, one thing that's interesting to note in this passage, notice in verse 46 of 1 Kings 18, when the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins, he ran ahead of Ahab. Notice the wording. He ran to the entrance. That's, that is so important. He ran to the entrance. Don't miss that as you discuss this later, if you have those discussions after Tri-State. He ran to the entrance of Jezreel. Why didn't he go in? Think about this. Despite his God-given victory over the overwhelming forces that day, 850 to 1 odds, Elijah had no misunderstanding of what that powerful, hate-filled she-devil, Jezebel, still wanted to do to him and still could do to him. What she was still capable. Just because he'd won this great victory did not mean that he felt as though he could win against anybody. He knew that she still had the power to take him down. And he knew what her intent was, and she made it very clear in chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger, watch this, to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to do the same thing to you that you did to my prophets. Make no mistake about it. 
She makes her intentions known, this, this force of darkness, this evil queen who slaughtered so many of the Lord's prophets. And look at verse 3. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. I gotta stop right here. To me, personally, as I studied this, verse three of chapter 19 is an even more powerful, more powerful Elijah slash flash verse than chapter 18 and verse 46, and here's why. Don't miss this. Elijah is the only person in the entire Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, that it is said of him, and he ran for his life. He's unique in that. Nobody else is that ever said of in those words. He ran for his life. And some may say, well, he must have been afraid to die. No. You see, Elijah ran for his life, not necessarily because he was afraid to die, because in verse 4, what does he say to God? Take my life. Elijah wasn't afraid to die. That, that isn't the point. The thing was, if he was going to die, he wanted to die at and in the hand of the Lord instead of at and in the hand of evil. Do you see that? Don't miss that. If he was going out, he wanted to go out at and in the hand of God instead of at and in the hand of evil. And that brings us to the most important point of this entire lesson for me, the, the overriding point that I really want to get across. Maybe we could call it the flashpoint, right? One which all of God's spiritual superheroes, and that means you, as we discussed three weeks ago in Benita. One which all of God's spiritual superheroes of the faith today absolutely must learn, must understand, and take to heart if you are going to win your battle against evil. If you are going to win your battle against the forces of evil, as it talks about in Ephesians 6.10, if you're going to win, you've got to understand this. Elijah ran like the flash from the evil which he knew still had the power to get him if he did not. Don't miss that. Even though he'd had that great victory in chapter 18, he still understood that there was evil that could take him down and he would run from that. He ran like the flash from the evil which he knew had the power to get him if he didn't. I cannot stress enough. That, that's the whole point of this whole sermon. That's it. Think about it. And you say, well, that isn't a very heroic thing to do, to run away. Oh? Big O, O, really? Do you know that some of the greatest heroes in the Bible knew when to run? Did you know that? Did you know that some of the greatest heroes in the Bible knew when to run away from evil that could still get them if they weren't careful? Let me give you some examples. Elijah ran like the flash from the evil, which he knew still had the power to get him if he didn't, 
The same way that Joseph had run from Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39, he ran the same way as Moses did from Pharaoh after Moses had killed the Egyptian in Exodus 2.15. He ran like David after Saul sought to pin him to the wall in 1 Samuel 19 and verse 10. Please, please do not miss the fact that every one of these great spiritual superheroes, Moses, Joseph, David, are they amongst the big, the big spiritual heroes in the Bible? That's pretty big names, isn't it? And every one of them had a point in their life where they would run from the evil that could still take them down if they did not. They ran hard away from the evil they knew could still take them down. And we as the next or New Testament generation of spiritual superheroes, we must do the same thing. We got a lot in common with the story of Elijah. Consider this, consider how your life, if you are a Christian, parallels this account of Elijah that we've talked about tonight. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's the application. Here's where it's going. God had given Elijah a great victory over the 850 prophets of Baal, but you know what? When you are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, God gives you a great victory over sin and death, doesn't he? God gives you this great victory over sin and death when you are baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and become a member of his kingdom. So you win this great, incredible victory just like Elijah did. It's awesome. It's wonderful. However, just because you've been baptized, just because you have this great victory over sin and death, does not mean the battle is over. Not by a long shot. It just means that Satan, the devil, just like Jezebel, that she-devil, is just going to become more determined to destroy you. That's what it means. The devil, once you are no longer in his camp and you're not gonna spend eternity in hell with him, the devil is coming after you harder. The battle ain't over. And what we need to do is to understand that. And so, we must learn after our great God-given victory over sin and death at baptism, we must learn to run from the evil that can still take us down if we don't. There's evil in this world that wants to take you down. For example, We must flee. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What does that text say? Run from that evil, because it'll take you down. But that's not the only place. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, Flee also youthful lusts. Run away from youthful lusts. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, the thing that we must understand, that just as fast as we run away from evil, we must pursue and run after righteousness, faith, and peace. It's not just a running like the flash from the evil that can overtake us, but it is running to the arms of God. 
That same truth is reflected in a passage I'm going to ask you to turn to in your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 6, like it's up on the screen hopefully. Yes, it is. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Turn over there and, and look how we're told to run. Run from the evil that will still take you down if you don't. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Love hearing those Bibles turn. Like I've told the congregation here so many times, I'm really going to hate it when everybody's got an electronic one because I can't hear the pages anymore. So anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll look at what this says, verses 6 through 11. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can take nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O oh man of God, flee from these things. Run away from that evil that can still take you down and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. But what's going to happen when you start running away from the evil that can take you down, even though you're a Christian, even though you've had this great victory over sin, what's going to happen when you run from the evil that can still take you down? What's going to happen if you no longer run with those who are running toward the evil? Peter addresses that in 1 Peter chapter 4, 4 and 5, where he says, they think it's strange that you do not run with them. All too many of you know what it's like when you become a Christian or because you go to church. They're friends that want to run off and do things that God wouldn't approve of and you don't run with them anymore. They're going to think you're strange. They're going to think you're nuts. Peter says, they're going to think it really strange you don't run with them. But he says, they're going to have to give an account to God. Therefore, as the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Lay it aside, he says. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him did what? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Christianity is not a sprint. It's an endurance run. Christianity is not a sprint, it's an endurance run. It's like a, it's a spiritual triathlon on steroids. It's not just getting baptized and having that victory and then coming out and then just letting the evil flood you again. It's an endurance run that lasts for life. Finally, as Paul wrote to the Church of Christ in first century Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 5, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. As we continue through the story of Elijah in 1 Kings, you don't have to turn there, we're just going to summarize it. As we go through 1 Kings 19, we see that God once Elijah had run from the evil, God answered him, God sustained him, 
God rewarded him. And God says, hey, I still got work for you to do. Just like God does today for those of us who've had that great victory over sin by being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and we're willing to still run from that evil that we know can take us down yet again if we're not careful. God understands that flight, that plight, and God still has a job for us to do. We see in 2 Kings 2, 1 through 11, that Elijah is finally taken up in a whirlwind to heaven. Talk about a flash, right? He's taken up into heaven. You know, he probably could have said the same thing that the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He said, it's not only there for me, but for all who have loved his appearing. In other words, for all of those who are running toward the prize. For all of those who are willing to run away from the evil that can destroy them like the flash. There's a crown waiting. It's a winner's crown. As we close tonight, the question is, Will you be one of those who will love his appearing because you've been running toward him and away from evil? The invitation I would leave with you tonight is this. Have you, have you won that first big victory, that victory over sin and death by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? If you haven't, I'm telling you what, there's an incredible victory. Come up out of that water and know that every sin you've ever committed is gone. Right, church? There's an incredible victory there. It far exceeds Elijah beating these 850 total prophets. It's, it's far above that to know that every sin you've ever committed has been washed away by the blood of Jesus and that the mechanism is in place to continually cleanse your sins, 1 John chapter 1. That's an incredible victory. If you've never done that, we'd love to have you win that victory tonight. Some of you in this room have already done that. Question is, have you failed to flee from some of that evil that can still take a Christian down? Have you in some way failed to flee from the evil that can still rob you, that can still kill you? Maybe you're sitting here tonight and that's you. You've gone back into the world. You've been engulfed and entangled and overwhelmed once again with that sin. And you need the grace of God to pick you back up and put you back in the race. God wants to do that. God doesn't want any of his children not to finish the race. And I guarantee you that every person in this assembly tonight will pray for you. God's waiting to help you back into the race if you've fallen out of it. We'll help you any way that we can listen. Don't forget the verse in James 5 about Elijah and the prayers of a righteous man, right? What do you think if 200 righteous people were praying for you? Wouldn't that be pretty good? You suppose that would have any power with the ear of God? If you're here tonight, you need to win that first victory by being baptized. Or you need the prayers of the church to get back in the race. We'd love to help in any way we can. Don't run, because you'll stumble, maybe. But when we sing this song, make your way down front, it's really not that far. I travel it every Sunday. You can do it if I can do it. If we can help you win the victory tonight, please come to the front as we stand and encourage you with this song.